Welcome to the podcast novel, Outcast. Outcast is a science fiction podcast novel written and read by Chris Vitston. This podcast contains mature subject matter, language, and violence. Listener discretion is strongly advised. And hello again. Well, here we are, down to the last two chapters of Outcast. I know that this has been a very long journey for myself and for all of you who have subscribed and who have put up with all the long pauses in between episodes. And it's been hard. It's been hard to have to put this project on the back burner so many times because of real life basically getting in the way of me being able to put this out for all of you. But now here we are, so close to the end. You know, it's in sight. I can see it. (laughs) Now, as a bit of a spoiler, I should let you know that the final chapter, chapter 24, is going to be a bit of a long one. So what I plan to do is any kind of follow-up feedback or discussion about future projects, I'm going to leave until a follow-up episode to wrap this whole thing up and start looking in the direction of the future of both my hopefully soon-to-be writing career and of Outcast in general. Some of you already know this. This is not the end. Granted, it's the end of this book, but it's not the end of the story. I have at least three more books planned out. The next one has already been started. It's again taking a short story that was part of Dallin's life many years ago, And I'm just giving it, I'm expanding on it, I'm fleshing out some of the details of it, adding in a few more subplots, hopefully, that will turn it into, again, another large enough read that it can be, again, a novel on its own. Now, unlike this one, I don't plan to release chapters as I write. I actually do want to finish this one, polish it up, before I even lay down the first audio track. Because at least that way, you're not suffering through the same kind of delays that you did with this book. Lessons learned, several do's and don'ts have been uh, categorized in all of this. I've got a nice list now, and actually, if you listen after the chapter, I'll let you know a few things that uh, I've done recently and where we go from here. So without further ado, sit back and relax, because here comes Outcast. Chapter 23 I never should have told Krasa that I had the next two weeks off from work in order to clear my head. It seemed that Sensei's idea of clearing one's head was to have the stuffing knocked out of it on a regular basis. I swear he used it as an excuse to work me that much harder. Not only were lesson times doubled, but the intensity with which I trained left me exhausted, bruised, and sometimes bloody if I wasn't careful while sparring. At least there was some consolation to this extra training. Teki. She had taken to accompanying me on the transit shuttle to the dance studio, after which she would wander around downtown Kerala City. When I was finished, she would be there waiting for me, with a warm embrace and a tender, loving kiss. Sometimes those kisses made me wince from the pain, but they were always welcome. 
When I wasn't training, Taiki was almost like my constant shadow. Every errand that needed done, we did together. She would hold me close every night, and in the morning she was in the same position. I didn't mind the extra attention, but she wasn't the same cougar I'd gotten to know over the summer. Something was different. Very different. Perhaps she was just trying to reinforce her vow to me at the stream about always loving me. She needn't have worried about that, though. Things were silent where my former clan was concerned. Grandfather had not been by to visit since I told him of my suspicions. I could only conclude that things had calmed down. I didn't even know the condition of the Shatlia I'd fought. For all I knew, they also come to their injuries. Normally, such a thought would leave my stomach churning, but in truth, I felt indifferent about it. As far as I was concerned, if they were all indeed dead, then at least I'd never have to deal with them again. It was midway through the second week of my forced vacation. In a few more days, school would start, and on top of work and training, I would soon be blessed with the additional burden of homework, exams, and trying to fit in with a bunch of peers who, to me, had no idea how the real world worked. I would be as much an outcast among them as I was to the clans. At least fellow students didn't have a moral obligation to try and kill you because of your status. I wasn't really sure how the upcoming school year was going to treat me. I would be a grade behind my friends until I wrote the challenge exam. But even after that, what then? Everyone knew that Risha, Tomas, and Max all hung out with Dallin. Would Darian be different enough? Or would I have to distance myself from them during school times to help maintain the illusion? At least with Teresa there, I wouldn't be alone if it came to that. Perhaps she could help reinforce the illusion among my old acquaintances. I really wouldn't know until the school year started. I remember falling asleep that night with Taki in my arms, as always. There had been nothing overly special about that night, or that day for that matter. My training had been brutal once again, and Taki had been there to accompany me home. We ate a decent but not extravagant meal, and went for our evening walk before retiring for the night. Absolutely nothing seemed out of the ordinary, which made me wonder why I awoke in the middle of the night alone. At first, I thought perhaps she'd gone outside to relieve herself. It happened. However, as the minutes ticked by, I grew more and more concerned. Had she gotten lost? Had she fallen? Had someone found her? Instinct won the battle over exhaustion, and I was on my feet in moments. Despite the fact that Mangalans have excellent night vision, I still stumbled around like a fool to find my pants before rushing out into the night in search for her. I didn't have to go very far. The moment I rounded the corner of the dwelling, a lit fire nearly blinded me. I think I made a sound of some kind as I shut my eyes quickly. When I could finally open them comfortably again, I saw Teki sitting there. If she noticed me, she made no move to acknowledge it. She just continued to stare into the fire as though entranced by it. I sat down beside her and placed a hand on her shoulder. Only then did she turn her muzzle to meet me. My eyes widened as I saw the twin streaks from her eyes. She was crying. Tiki, I asked, giving her shoulder a squeeze. What is it? What's wrong? 
Fresh tears fell as she blinked. Her jaw moved, and I felt my heart begin to beat faster. I... I have to leave, she said. I felt the blood drain from my muzzle and go directly to my now ringing ears. I felt all the fur in my body stand straight up as though I'd been electrocuted. My throat ran dry and my jaw hung open. At first I thought maybe I misheard her, but the look on her muzzle, the tears, no, I'd heard her correctly. She was leaving. Why? I finally choked out. What did I do wrong? It's not you, she replied. I love you, Talon. I've always loved you. Please, don't blame yourself. Then why? I asked. I could feel my own tears beginning to well up. I don't understand. Because I finally do understand. She stroked the side of my muzzle with her hand. It took all this time, and maybe I was denying it up till now. But neither one of us can avoid this any longer. Avoid what? What you have to become. I jerked away from her hand and cocked my head to one side. What do you mean? I asked. What do I have to become? Violence, Dallin, she said. The Beast Walkers are protectors, but not through mere words or diplomacy. They do so through blood and death, Dallin, and you are venturing down that very path. Someday you will have to make that decision. You will have to end someone. But what does that have to do with, I've seen glimpses of your strength, Dallin, from that time in the warehouse to the alley, and finally protecting your brother and sister? Your ferocity is something I've never seen before, but after each time I saw the shame in your eyes. I nodded. Your shame was because of me. Because you frightened me. I closed my eyes and nodded again. So long as I'm here, Talon, I'm holding you back. For you to continue down this path, you need to move past that shame and accept what you're becoming. I can't and won't stand in your way. Deep down, I knew she was right. But that didn't mean I wanted her to go. Then why leave? I asked. I mean, it's my hang-up, Tiki. It's mine to deal with. You shouldn't have to go just because... That's just it, she interrupted again. You do frighten me, Dallin. When you get that savage look in your eye, to be honest, there are times when I'm not sure if you truly recognize me. All I know of the Beast Walkers is what the stories my tribe tell, and none of those stories ever end well for those who cross them. But you know better, I pleaded. You know I'd never hurt you. Now, yes, she said. But what about tomorrow, Dallin? What if the Beast Walkers are as indiscriminate as the stories tell? Then I'll stop. Here and now, I declared. No more training. No more fighting. No more scaring you. Would that do it? Would that be enough to make you... She placed a hand on my muzzle, silencing me. You would never forgive yourself if you abandoned everything now, she said softly. And what of your family... Who would protect them? I... It was a cold, merciless truth that finally settled itself within me.
This was indeed the price of my deal with the Dark One. The moment I accepted to be trained as a Lautari, all this had been put into motion. I chose this path. I chose to continue to train. I chose to continue to fight. I chose to protect, to guard. I chose to become violence personified, and in doing so, I chose this consequence. I turned away from Teki, not wanting her to see the growing snarl on my face. It wasn't directed at her, but at myself. All I wanted was to make the best of what the fates had done to me, to live out my life comfortably and in love. Was that truly so much to ask, even as an exile? Was just going through the motions of the day-to-day -day truly an impossible task? But I didn't want the day-to-day, -day, did I? I thought back to the night before I accepted Cross's offer. I remembered the cries of those children, the betrayal of a friend, the rain, the digging. I remembered the tears I cried as I held those bodies in my arms. I remembered screaming to the heavens as I finished covering the grave over. That's when it all started, wasn't it? This whole thing started with the death of three innocent kittens at the hands of those claiming to do the work of the patrons. I had to wonder, though, when would this end? How would it end? The only way it could end. In blood. I felt her hand on my shoulder, coaxing me to turn and face her. Her muzzle bore the saddest smile I'd ever seen. This is not the end, she said, her voice barely a whisper above the fire. I will always love you, Dallin, and I will wait for you. What do you mean? I'm returning home, she announced. The gathering is still going on, and Silas has found a way to return me to Tanaya. I can return to my tribe, Dallin. But I thought you said the wound was too fresh. I spent the summer in the care of a beast walker, she said. Among the tribes, such a thing carries weight. At least, I believe it will. My eyes widened. You mean, you're planning to return, not even knowing if you'll be welcomed back? She nodded. I have to try, Dallin. For us to have a future, I have to try. And what if it doesn't work? What then? She shrugged. I spent months hiding before, she answered, returning her gaze to the fire. It was my own stupidity that got me into Darrow's skimmer that night. I won't be making that mistake again. She then turned back to face me. Whether I make it back to my family or not, Dallin, the fact remains that I have to leave. I closed my eyes and hung my head. Every point I could make about how bad an idea this was, she already had a counter for it. She'd spent a lot of time on this. I wondered if she and Silas had discussed this before, and it had been his idea to set this plan into motion. In the end, it didn't really matter. She was leaving, and nothing I did or said could stop her. 
I finally opened my eyes and looked back at her. I merely stared, wanting to burn this last image of her in my mind so that it would haunt my vision until the day I'd see her again. I let my eyes wander over her perfect muzzle, her amber eyes that seemed to glow in the firelight. My mind suddenly filled with the sounds of her voice, in particular her laughter. That was my choice for what sound to remember her by. It would be the memory of her laughter that would carry me through those upcoming lonely nights. At last, I nodded. I didn't want to, but to waste any more words on the argument would have been pointless. I reached for her hand still on my shoulder and gave it a squeeze. She moved until she was sitting in my lap, arms wrapped around me. I knew I had to say something, but at the moment my mind was a complete blank. When I finally did find my voice again, I could only say one word. When? Hmm? When are you... leaving? Not for a couple days, she said, kissing my neck. I could feel her beginning to purr against me. We don't have a lot of time left, love. So let's make the most of it. And we did. The skimmer took only a few minutes to load. Teki didn't have much to pack. A few changes of clothes, the necessities, and a few personal reminders of her time with me. All in all, her entire world wound up packed into two duffel bags and a backpack. I marveled at how little she really had, but compared to other exiles, she probably had too much. I watched her as she loaded the last bag into the skimmer. Nath looked in the trunk quickly before nodding and closing the lid. I felt relieved that he would be Teki's driver for the trip to the Tanayan border. I didn't know him that well, but he was the first exile to really give me a chance all those months ago. In a room full of strangers, he was the one I knew the most. I also knew that he would keep Teki safe for as long as he could. Ex-soldiers were as good as their word. She'd tell you why she's leaving? I turned to see that Silas had moved up beside me. I nodded in answer to his question. Probably for the best, if you ask me, he said. You're going to be making some powerful enemies before long, kid. Better to have no one they can use against you. She said she was holding me back from becoming... whatever it is I'm supposed to become, I said. I told her I'd drop everything if it meant she'd stay, but... But she remembered the night you tried to save those kittens, Silas interrupted. I remember that night too, kid. I knew right then and there that this kind of life wasn't for you. He nodded in the direction of the warehouse. Everyone in there? They've all given up, kid. For them, this is life. There ain't nothing more for them. But you... You got the fire in you, Dallin. You still have that spark of hope that's all but died in everyone else here. She told me what you were facing, he continued. She also told me about what you did for your family. Were they the same guys that were here? I nodded. Their leader remembered me from here. Will that cause any trouble? 
Silas shook his head. I doubt it. Knowing there's at least one exile out there who don't care about the rules should keep them in line for a while. And when they finally do grow a pair and decide to come around, well, let's just say our ushers won't be so shy with the hardware next time. I couldn't help but smile slightly at that. I wondered briefly what their reaction would be from the council to find some of the press's Shatlia had been blown to bloody chunks by an exile shotgun. It would probably spell the end of the warehouse as a place to gather, but doubtless the Foundation would be able to set themselves up somewhere else with little trouble. I was just about to say something to Silas when I noticed Nath walking toward us. I looked past him to see the skimmer was ready to go. Even though it had accepted that this was about to happen, I couldn't stop feeling like my heart had just dropped in my chest. This was it. I was saying goodbye to her. How long until I saw her again? No idea. Good to go, said Nath softly. Should be back in six days tops. He turned to me. Can't take her any further than the border. I got a friend who'll take her the rest of the way. Before you ask, yeah, I trust him. This ain't the first time we've done this. Thanks, I said. I noticed Tekhi leaning on the skimmer, staring at the ground. Nodding to both Silas and Nath, I made my way over to her. She slowly lifted her head to meet my gaze. I guess this is it, she said, her voice heavy with sorrow. I guess so. I said. I wish you didn't have to. I know. She stood up. I want you to know, Dallin, this summer meant everything to me. Before I met you, I believed that my life was as good as over. But you, you took me in, loved me, made me feel like I was worth something again. She leaned into me and I felt her arms snake around me. You gave me hope, Dallin, and I can't thank you enough for that. I wrapped my arms around her and moved to nuzzle her neck. I could feel her purring softly, hers resonating with my own. Thank you, I whispered, trying to hold back my tears. Thank you for believing in me, for loving me. I will wait for you, my love, she whispered. No matter how long it takes, regain what you've lost, Dallin. And when you do, you come find me. I will, I said, finally gazing into her eyes. I promise I will. Our muzzles met in one final, passionate kiss. I held her tighter, afraid to let go because I knew that when I did, this would all be over. I knew we couldn't stay like that forever, but in that moment I was all for trying. I didn't know how long it was going to take before I reclaimed my honor, or how it would be done, and that uncertainty left me fully and truly afraid. Finally, the kiss ended. It was time. Taki looked past me and nodded to Nath. I heard his heavy footsteps approach and we separated. I'm not even... not even sure what to say, I said.
Then don't say anything, she whispered, reaching a hand up to my muzzle. Just know that I'll be there, waiting. I reached up and covered her hand with my own, closing my eyes. My mind traveled back to the first time she'd done this, the night I knew I'd fallen in love with her. It seemed like another lifetime ago when my feelings for her first arose. All we'd been through, all the tears, the hardship, the love, all of it came to this. How long would we be apart? Months? Years? Would we meet again as strangers, or would our love persevere? Only time, it seemed, would tell. Her hand fell away as I heard the skimmer power up. I opened my eyes and we shared one last gaze before she turned toward the open passenger door. I stepped away from the vehicle and moments later it pulled away, taking my beloved cougar back home to a hopeful but uncertain future. I tried my best not to let the tears fall, but it was a losing battle. I didn't cry, though. I just stood there, tears streaming down my muzzle, gazing down the road. It wasn't until I felt Silas' hand on my shoulder that I finally turned away. Come on, kid, he said softly. Ain't nothing for it now. I looked over at him and he smiled. She'll be fine, and you'll see her before you know it. He nodded toward the warehouse. Now come on. Let's get a hot meal into you, all right? I nodded and turned to follow him back in. I spared one last glance at the road and offered up a small, silent prayer to whatever force was listening that she would be safe before heading inside. It was the last time I ever saw her. And there we have it. Yes, I left you on a cliffhanger. I'm not apologizing. Nope. I have waited many years for this moment. And I'm going to savor it a little bit. But I'm not going to leave you hanging too long. As of the recording of this episode, I'm actually getting ready to go on a business trip for a couple of weeks. However, I will have enough technology with me that in the downtime, I'll be able to edit and perfect this little episode and have it in your hot little hands before I get back. And when I get back, it'll be back into the studio, which is really nothing more than the padded corner of my uh, current office, to record the final chapter of Outcast. And then after that, I'll be working on the follow-up show. I'll probably give it maybe two weeks, depending if I get any uh, feedback on these last two episodes. Now, just one little bit of housekeeping here. Recently, I was interviewed by the Fangs and Fonts podcast, who wanted to talk about how podcasting a novel or podcasting a story is done. And I shared with them my experiences, the lists, uh, the lists of do's and don'ts that I came up with over the years, the lessons I've learned, and... Hopefully I left them with a little bit of advice that would have them ponder if they decide to go the same path I did. I'll make sure to leave a link to that episode in the show notes. But for right now, I need to get this thing boxed up onto a portable hard drive so that I can take it with me. 
so that I can go and do this business trip because, well, no job, no money, no podcasting. So priorities as always. Anyways, I want to thank all of you for listening, for staying subscribed and for sticking with me as long as you have. I do appreciate it. You guys are the reason I do this. And until next time, this is Chris signing off. Have a good one. You've been listening to Outcast, a science fiction podcast novel written and read by Chris Fitzton. For more information, please visit the show's website at outcastnovel.yo5.ca. Please feel free to leave an email or soundbite at outcastnovel at gmail.com. The new theme music for Outcast is The Descent by Kevin McLeod from incompetech.com. Cover art for Outcast was done by Jason Frieden. Check out his website at www.jasonfrieden.com. And again, thanks for listening.